Looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Today, you'll get an inside look at an unfiltered conversation with our good friend, John Heimdall. Brad and I met John in our first year of physical therapy school at the University of Minnesota and have long connected over fantasy football, spike ball, and physical therapy ever since. John is a fantastic PT and was willing to share his insights on how he educates his patients about sleep, stress, nutrition, and exercise. Thanks for listening today. Let's jump right into it. diagnoses like where you start to kind of have where yeah your SI joint is off like what my treatment isn't going to change with you so why would I say I that you have pain near your SI joint like I don't know I just think that if you can just relay it yeah you have you have some back pain like that doesn't it doesn't do me any good to say that you're your left L4 you have a herniated disc in that because my treatment isn't going to change and I'm probably not going to, I'm not going to be able to push that back in. It's going to most likely just take care of itself on its own. And that exercise and strengthening can help decrease that sensitivity to pain. Which is a hundred percent right. It's just hard because like patients come in and they want to know what's wrong. Yeah. And what I've been finding is that when you just tell them that, like what you're saying, Mm -hmm. then they just, I don't know. They like, they either think that you like don't know what Mm -hmm. you're talking about because you're just like, Oh yeah, you're back hurts Mm -hmm. like okay i know that i came in with back pain no for sure but like what is causing it and people like people need a cause and an effect to know what's going to get them better versus like thinking that you have the same knowledge base that they do so it's like what we've talked about is like we have gone through school we've learned all the background stuff we've learned like what the diagnoses are and all that stuff and now we've still like with that background knowledge come to the point of Really, you just got to move and take care of your body, period. Like, it's it's super simple. Like, if I would have known five years ago how just, like, simple some of this stuff was, like, I feel like that would have changed the course of a lot of things, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, patients come in and they want to know that you're the expert and you, like, put a label on something. So that's what's hard is, like, yeah, you can't hit them with a faulty label of, like, this is out of place or this is out of position, but you need to, like, give them something to giving them something to work on or to like direct the plan of care. I don't know. For sure. Yeah. I I deal with a little bit more just kind of low back pain in general. So I don't know. I feel like patients have been receptive to me, especially in the last, you know, six months of just explaining kind of about the knowledge about, look, I, I'm going to send you through these special tests. This may or may not be the source of your pain. And the more that I can be honest with them, I feel like patients ever since I've been more honest with them, like, look, it potentially could be this. You had you're positive for this special test. It may or may not be the source of your back pain that, you know, I see back pain all day, every day, you know, like trying to get them to know that, you know, I've dealt with things in your, in your specific, you know, with your same symptoms, but not necessarily saying that, yeah, now that that must be your left anterior rotator ilium. That is the source of your pain that look, look, yeah, your left leg is, it is a little bit longer. Is that the source of your pain? Maybe you've had that your entire life, but you just had back pain in the last three months. So 
is that for sure the source of your pain? And I honestly, I say that all the time. It's like, it may or may not be the source of your pain. And I feel like the more that I can just be honest with them and kind of tell them that kind of what I know is that we don't know for sure what the exact source of your pain is, but, you know, trying to take a look at your, what exercise you're doing, your load management, if there's anything that's glaring as far as like weakness or tightness, then yeah, let's, let's look at it when we're doing it. But um, I don't know, in that sense, as far as, you know, needing a diagnosis, I feel like the more that I can be honest with them and, you know, say that I've also dealt with a lot of people in your situations, they've gotten better, sure. you know, trying to like, know, kind of say that I'm the expert in that situation, but not necessarily labeling a diagnosis that might have a little bit of that nocebic effect where, oh man, my SI joint is, you know, I'm crooked. Well, are you going to fix me? Well, what if I get pain again? Then they automatically think that, wow, I must be shifted again versus if I was just straight up with them at the beginning that, you know, that might not be the source of your pain, but you know, I don't know, just being more honest with them from the get go. I feel like I've gotten pretty good results without, you know, saying that this is, this is your specific diagnosis. And again, it's a little bit different than your more athletic population that you guys deal with. But in my kind of more, you know, in general chronic pain um, patients, I don't know, I've been not as specific because I don't think that I think majority of low back pain is non-specific. Exactly. Like yeah. chronic pain in general is non-specific. Yeah. I think that that's such a hard barrier of like establishing that you are the expert in the area while also not trying to make them reliant on you. Cause mm-hmm. like it, right. it, it's kind of like they go against each other. Cause it's like, you're trying to let them know, like, you know, your stuff, like, you know, basically like what they need to work on, but you don't want them to be reliant on you because if it happens again, you don't want them to come back to you that you want them to have autonomy to take care of their own life. And that's like what we were talking about before, where there's so many things that go into pain and outside of like an acute injury. So like a short term injury where you're playing football, you get hit in the knee or you, twist as you're going down the stairs and you're near like something like that if you don't have an acute injury and like pain just kind of developed like there's more things going on than just the structures involved and like oh we press here and it hurts or we whatever yeah because those areas are probably compensating for whatever's going on but like that isn't the source of the problem um and i, I think that that's just so huge with like chronic or subacute type pain is understanding that and it needs to be more, I think, like similar to school, where if you go to school and you don't do your homework, like there's consequences, but like the teacher's not going to do your homework for you. It's so, like, I'm not going to, like, I'm going to give you the tools to be successful, but I'm not going to do them for you. So it's like, but there's no accountability if they don't do their stuff. Right. So that's kind of tricky too, where it's like, I want to teach you how to do all this stuff, but then you got to go do it. I can't do it for you your whole life. Um, so I find that hard too, trying to explain that where you want them to trust you, but you also want to give them everything they need and not have to come back to. Well, I was just kind of talking about the kind of what's like your, you know, when you see a patient, what is your number one goal with them? And I know I was like kind of talking about that. My number one goal when I see anybody is that by the time that they're done seeing me, that they don't feel that they need to rely on anybody else, that they feel like they have the autonomy that you're saying, that they feel like they don't need to see any other kind of healthcare provider, if they wake up, you know, with that, you know, it happens to me all the time. Just, you know, you wake up in a, you know, some random day and my back's a little bit stiff, my sore, it might last for, you know, in a couple hours, maybe a couple days sometimes. And, and why do you think it's sore? Did you sleep wrong? I mean, probably. Is your, is your L4 twisted? No, I mean, it's probably a combination. I maybe didn't sleep quite as well. Maybe I'm a little bit more stressed out that, you know, whatever it is that maybe I had to, maybe I minorly tweaked it. And then the combination of that with, 
you know, maybe I ate like crap. Maybe I ate like two bags of gummy worms like I used to do all the time, <laughs> yeah, which I, yeah, I'm probably going to do now. And uh, that, you know, it's a combination of maybe that a little bit of the nutrition there, a little bit the lack of the sleep. Maybe I'm a little bit more stressed. Maybe I didn't sleep as well. And then that con- that total combination together that, you know, maybe it's not one single structure, that it's the combination of all those together that decreased my sense, that my kind of threshold to pain. And then I was a little bit more sore for a couple of days that try not to hang your head, your head on it. Whatever, I, I just totally blanked on that. What, hanging your hat on? Head on that? Hang your hat on? Hang your hat on, yeah. Hang your hat? Head? Um, what, know, whatever that is. a couple beers down. Yeah, so. whatever that phrase is. Um, <laughs> that uh, that you feel like you have the autonomy to you know manage those symptoms. That you know unless it's a traumatic incident that happened, that you didn't do a lot of damage to your tissue that is you know requires you to kind of the rest. That do whatever modality, the stretching, the icing, whatever, TENS unit, whatever you want to make you feel a little bit better, but knowing that the goal is that you get back in your normal routine, that you don't just sit on the couch and expect for it to go away, that you need to take action. You need to get moving, go for a walk, and try to you know stay moving and try to get back into your regular routine because that pain, it doesn't it's, it has such poor correlation with tissue damage that you need to stay moving and make sure you're keeping on track of your movement, your sleep, your nutrition, and your stress. And so- yeah. And, and that brings up a good thing. And we'll, we'll dive into kind of the pillars of health in a little bit here. But like, how do you approach modalities? And by modalities, yeah. I mean ice, soft tissue work, whatever. For sure. And so, uh, you know, we actually have just with you guys on our last uh, kind of weekend that we had together, we were kind of, you know, learning a little bit more on the kind of the British Journal of Sports Medicine on kind of the latest guidelines with ice. So it used to be like, I've always learned my entire life, you know, basketball injuries growing up, just throw ice on it, you know, ice it every two hours. So I used to be, I feel like even in the last year, it's shifted a little bit. I used to be kind of more ice for pain control. I used to say, don't do heat, you know, especially if there's any kind of inflammatory issue, which, you know, it's hard to, you know, say completely. You know, lately I've just been, you know, has there been something, I usually ask the patient, has there been something for you that works for you every time? And then if that's what, if they find something, that's like, great, do it, keep doing it. As long as, you know, it's not something that's, you know, stupid, which I can't even think off the top of my head what it would be, but you know, whatever modality works for them so that they feel better with the goal of being more active and trying to take control of their own kind of health. So, you know, I usually, if especially, I'm like I said, I keep going back to low back pain. So if it is one of those where it's like unbearable, where it's hard for them to get up, where, you know, it's, you know, sometimes you just get that acute low back pain that is really tough. And, uh, you know, even just starting off with some whatever small movements you can do, some torso rotation on your back, some anything with the goal of trying to keep moving, trying to, um, trying to get back to the normal routine of, of, uh, of movement. And so I don't have one specific, you know, modality that I recommend for people. I usually try to kind of ask what works for them and try to, you know, keep doing it and try to, you know, try to, with the goal of staying moving more. And that's important, especially right away to not go in and disrupt their whole routine. So tell them, Oh, don't do this. Don't do that. You need to do this. Cause then you just like, tear them apart completely and then that's tough to build that trust back up so even if they're doing something where you don't think is is as ideal as you wanted to it's all right we're gonna try to add this little thing and see if it helps and if that doesn't help then we might take away this little thing and then we we work towards ideal so it's progress over perfection so especially on those first couple visits you don't want to just pick apart every single thing they're doing in life and add a million things too so um I think that takes a little bit of patience as a provider too, because you want everything done your way, but sometimes you need to meet them where they're at and then bring them towards where you're trying to go. I think that's a great point too, because like 
we, I think I get stuck sometimes thinking like, okay, what's the most ideal as far as like tissue healing or like how your body responds to things. Like we're working with human beings. That cannot be the, the thing. Like you can have that in the, in the piggy bank, like in the back of your mind. But I think that's a good point of like, what has worked for you in the past? Like, let's do that to kind of bridge the gap to get us where we need to go versus just saying like, well, here's what the research says, or here's what's best, right? Cause that's never going to work either. Then you're just pushing a boulder uphill. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's key. And I think that it's, if they can find those ways to, um, you know, give them at least enough relief to like get them to that next point is massive. I totally agree with everything that you guys are saying and kind of piggybacking off of uh, bro Broback's point there where, you know, not saying like, you know, they've been doing a certain routine for their, you know, say the last two years, they've been listening to a certain provider that's been telling them for that. The last thing, you know, the way to just, you know, put up that brick wall between you is just to say, oh, they're wrong and that you need to start doing what I say instead if you're going to get better. You got to meet them halfway that you got to, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. Keep doing that. But I think, or I think that maybe we should add this to it or, you know, try to, you know, compromise with them where, you know, yeah, continue, you know, going to your CrossFit gym or whatever it is that they really enjoy doing and then try to, you know, either manage their load or whatever the specific problem or what you think is that you try to meet them kind of halfway where you start to kind of compromise so that you can build that patient PT trust and then, you know, as we know that the more that they can trust you, the more that they're willing to buy in and start to kind of make cha- healthy, positive changes for their life. What, what are the, I forget which one of you always says it, but you're like, the two things, there's some stuff, I don't know, some study or something, where it's like the two things that determine if someone gets better are yep. pro- proximity to the clinic, yep. like how far they have to travel to get there, and mm-hmm. if they like their PT or not. Yeah. yeah, those are the two biggest factors that they found, which has nothing to do with how good you are as a provider, so it kind of humbles you a little bit. But also emphasizes, you know, are they doing their stuff? Can they get there? And do they somewhat enjoy doing it? Um, and I think that's really important because it, it humbles you as a provider, but it also lets the patient know, like, hey, like, this might not be your favorite thing of the day, but if we're here 40 minutes, like, let's talk about, you know, the Vikings game or let's talk about what you're doing this weekend and, and like, let's make it as enjoyable as we can because I want you to better, I want to form a relationship. And I want you to to enjoy this as well. Well, and that's like, as much as we hate to admit it, one of the most, if not like the most powerful effect yeah. is the placebo effect mm-hmm. of just like believing you're going to get better. Like trusting in your PT that they're going to get you better is the biggest possible thing, which like it almost, sometimes when I think about it, I feel like sleazy about it. It's like, oh, if I can get this person to like me, they're probably going to get better. Mm-hmm. But it's just human nature. Like that's how humans operate. Mm-hmm. Um and so that, that's something, too, where it's extremely humbling because it's like you learn all these techniques, you learn all the anatomy, you learn all the biomechanics, the physiology, fucking everything about how the human body works. Mm-hmm. But, like, at the end of the day, you just, like, got to be able to relate to people and, like, educate them at their level of understanding for, like, what to give them the most freedom and, and autonomy. Because that's what we're doing. Like, that is our job. Like, I would never, ever in a million years consider, consider myself, like, a pain management specialist or, like have our job be like taking care of your pain. Mm -hmm. Like in my mind, our job is to get the person as much physical freedom as they possibly can, as much autonomy over their whole life as they can educate them on what the big pillars are like sleep, stress, um, exercise, you know, all those things that we talk about diet and managing those and understanding that like you have control over your own life and your own body. 
and you're coming to us to like understand these principles more to get educated on it like you're going to feel better along the way but like my goal if you come to me for a 40 minute session my goal isn't necessarily to make you like feel better at the end of it it's to make you feel more like okay i got this like i get what's going on i feel autonomous like i can take on these things by myself like come and check in to make sure you're on the right path but not just like oh you feel better or you don't i totally agree and going along with that you know if that's the patient's first goal is i just i just want to be pain free I mean, that's when, you know, that's why I always try to, you know, ask at the beginning of like, kind of, what do you want to get out of PT? If the number one goal is just, I don't want any shoulder pain or I don't want any low back pain the rest of my life when you're doing it. Well then now I got to start changing kind of the realistic goals, the realistic expectations that the patient can have. I mean, you go ahead. But, but, but then too, like, <laughs> then, you, then you should ask them when they say that, okay, do you want to be pain free, like short term? Or do you want to be pain-free in the long term and have control over your own life? Because, mm-hmm. like, if your goal is to be pain-free, well, even that is, like, something that you could dive into a ton deeper. Because, mm-hmm. like, okay, you want to feel better in eight weeks? Well, okay, keep an ice pack on there for the next eight weeks. You're probably not going to feel any pain. Don't don't move your shoulder. You're probably yeah. going to be a little bit right. less pain-free, yeah. but is that going to be beneficial for the rest exactly. of your life? Well, once you have to use that shoulder, then you're going to be in more pain. Exactly. you got a little bit of pain in your shoulder. Let's just push you in a full body cast. Yeah, right. Exactly. You'll be, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll feel better, but yeah, in the long term, it's not realistic to just, you know, be that I'm not going to have pain the rest of your life. That, you know, you have, you should be able to, you know, have the tools needed to, when you do have a little bit of shoulder pain or back pain, that you you know, have some stretches, have some exercises, have, you know, or the patience for it to know that it's going to get better, that you're going to be able to kind of be able to manage this on your, on your own. So yeah, I think that's a kind of a great point on what you guys were saying with the, uh, kind of the, the pain and, um, you know, trying to set up the kind of expectations for, uh, kind of what they're trying to get out of physical therapy. And something we were talking about too, was like, before we, we turned the microphone on was, um, like as as physical therapists, sometimes you get frustrated, and say we have like, so I'm treating somebody. Let's call him Bill, right? Mm-hmm. Bill comes in with low back pain. So I'm treating somebody, and then we got a PT. Her name's Janet treating somebody, and he sees both of us, and in uh, six weeks he gets like better, like equal levels of pain. At the end of it, he's like one out of ten on the pain scale, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Janet is taking more of like a modality passive approach or like what you always talk about, John, like fear mongering of, Oh, well your pelvis is off. So we got to rotate your pelvis back. We got to like all these things versus me just being like, you know what? Like you're having pain in this area. Um, this could be due to a number of reasons, including things that you might not even think of like sleep, diet, stress, just how much you're moving in the day and all these other things that play into your, your pain response, your neurophysical pain response that your body has. And we might have similar exercises or approaches or whatever, but just like at the end of that six weeks, Bill's going to look at those two scenarios so different, right? Like even if his pain is the same, so his goal of decreasing pain, okay, that's equal on both accounts. He's going to look at that differently where in, in eight months, if his pain comes back, he's going to be like, oh, well, my pelvis is out. I got to go see Janet. She's going to put it back. And you're reliant on Janet versus like with my approach or with our approach or whatever that we're talking about, Bill's going to be like, okay, so this is hurting again. Let me kind of revisit what I've been doing these past couple of days. Like, oh, I was, I was eating shitty or I haven't been getting sleep or I'm really stressed about work because I just got laid off or this relationship is tough in my life or whatever it is. And he's going to dive deeper into like his life and understanding 
psychologically what's going on with him or with his body or whatever. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's so big. Like, that should be our job. And I, I, would, I would even say, like, if Bill doesn't get as better as, as well with me, like, what if at the end of the, the six weeks he's down to a 0 out of 10 pain with Janet, he's down to, like, a 3 out of 10 pain with me, I would still make a strong argument that he was better off just based on the education that he got. And, I mean, if you want to even go further into healthcare dollars. I mean, if he goes into with that 3 out of 10 pain versus the 1 out of 10 pain, and in this, like you said, in the 8 months where, 8 months later, he wakes up with pain, that if that locus of control is into himself, that he doesn't, he, and he, he knows that it wasn't anything traumatic, that he, and he takes care of it himself, I mean, that just saves the overall healthcare money, too. I mean, he doesn't go in for that healthcare visit, so it saves everybody money. So I would 100% agree that I think that the more that you can put that less fear-mongering, the more you can put that locus of control into the patient themselves to say that they're empowered, that they have the um, that they have the autonomy to kind of take take control of themselves, that I think it plays a huge role for their well-being the rest of their life, as well as, like you said, that it, I would agree that you're, uh, you're better off by putting that locus of control in them. The other hard part is, like, defining better usually is related to pain, whereas, like, there's so many other things where... You know, you you couldn't get out of bed because um, you're so stiff in the morning. It took you like 10 minutes to wake up. Now you're not having that anymore. Or um, you're playing your sport a lot better. Or you're, you're just happier. There's so many other variables. And it, it unfortunately, it always comes back to what's your pain now? What was it then? And that's really tough to deal with too because that's, that's typically the main reason they're coming in because something hurts. Exactly. But yep. there's so many other ways to define success and improvement. Um, outside of just that zero to ten scale, and that's huge because yeah, they they come in with pain, but if they can leave with a better understanding of their own well being, like that's massive, you know, because like they're they're gonna run into different people within the healthcare system, different areas. Some people have different beliefs than others, or different backgrounds, or whatever it is. So like, the more positive, like physical freedom, autonomy, whatever that you can provide them that could change their entire outlook of their whole life. You know, and like I, we, we focus so much on the physical of like pain or, you know, even that, like getting out of bed or how long does it take you to, I don't know, get up and go to the bathroom, whatever. Um, but like what we do, I think has to go so much outside of the physical, like it has to go into those other pillars, which brings up another point that we had talked about before, before putting the microphone on here and that we talk about a lot is PT school. Like, how we as physical therapists are educated. Like, we didn't have anything about sleep. We had a little bit about diet, maybe. Like bare nutrition. minimum. Bare yeah. minimum. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, we, did, we didn't have, like, hardly anything about stress management. Like, we had a... I don't think we had any psychology. Well, we had a little bit of, like, prereq psychology to get into PT school, I think. Yeah, you take it's, it's like, we, we, like, have had to go so much outside of our scope to learn these things, listening to podcasts, mm-hmm. reading books, finding it elsewhere. Like that needs to be a staple. That needs to be a staple in PT mm-hmm. school, I think. I would 100% agree. The other problem with that is that it takes at least 10 to 15 years for the current research to even get into the curriculum of schools. Say that again. It takes at least 10 to 15 years for the most up-to-date research to get into the curriculum of schools. And so, you know, even these more up-to-date research that we are learning now or what we've been taught, you know, four years ago or three years ago we were in PT school 
you know, everything that we learned now, by the time we're, by the time we kind of finished it, it's most of it's obsolete. I mean, like the more I learn, the more it's like, I don't, I don't know that much. I mean, we don't know that much. I feel like there's so much uncertainty that was kind of taught to us as fact that, you know, you, you should be able to feel that while that, that is a little bit anterior rotated that while that, uh, PSIS is moving a little bit more on a stork test when, you know, I'll admit it, I felt, I felt like I wasn't able to kind of, you know, really feel it or get the grasp of it in PT school because guess what? We were not that good at it. Well, because right. the test yeah, doesn't no matter. Is. Exactly. The test yeah. like, there's been research and research I, and research yeah. and the test has like terrible stats. Oh, like God. all the quote unquote special tests yes. are not that special I at know. all. I know. And so it's, it makes me a little bit frustrated, but the, at the same time, I think it's good that we do have this, these, you know, podcasts that we have all this information available to us so yes. that, you know, we can, if you put in a little bit of effort and any physical therapist should be able to keep up with the research by just listening to a couple hours of podcasts a week, I honestly, I feel. So, exactly. um, I don't know. I just feel like as I've, you know, been out of the school for a while, it's, and you know, people aren't keeping up with their research. It's like, you don't really have any excuse not to. It's like, you know, listen to some, some research on the way to work and on the way out. But yeah, I know I can go on a rant for this for a while, but yes, yeah. it's, it's the, you know, a lot of the things that we learn in school by the time it's put into the curriculum, it's outdated and oftentimes based on flawed studies. Yeah. And I think too, like, I totally agree with what you're saying. Sometimes I think I almost view myself or, or what we do as like more of a generalist versus like so specific because even some of the research, like I, I would, I would rather have it be like a requirement for a continuing education. Um, so for those listening as physical therapists, you have to have a certain level of, or a certain amount of continuing education each year, two years, whatever. Yep, yep. Um, I would so much have, rather have there be a requirement for like going outside of our like research studies on this specific diagnosis or whatever into just more general like, all right, you need to spend 10 hours this year learning about nutrition. You need to spend mm -hmm. 10, like 15 hours learning about sleep or stress mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, because that is so relevant in what we do. Like, you can never take that out of any human being's scenario. Mm -hmm. What if uh, kind of along with the nutrition standpoint, I know that we kind of all try to keep up with the most kind of up to date research as far as nutrition, too. But um, kind of what do you guys usually tell patients when they ask, uh, you know, well, what should I be eating or what are kind of your how do you go about, you know, explaining nutrition to patients? So I, I think a big part of it is not completely rewriting what they do. So like getting a concept of how are you eating now? Um I think it's tough because there's so many different like diets and fads and things that have been shown to whatever. Um, I think that the more just like natural you can eat, the better. Like the less processed carbs, the less just like boxed foods, the better you're going to be, you know. Um, I don't really get super into like, I don't know, vegan or paleo or like certain things like that. Mm -hmm. Um I just more so get into like try to eat natural food. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Yeah. How about you? And uh, um, I try to like see if like there's a pattern of when like their their symptoms are like worse, and if that kind of like we've been talking about, like you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're under a lot of stress, you're not moving well. Like if if like your the food intake is is related to anything of your new symptoms, and if they can tie those together, they're way more apt to, to change you know what they're putting into their body um 
Because sometimes they won't even see that correlation. They'll go to state fair for a week, they'll eat terrible, and then they feel a lot worse. And yes. they have no, and they like, they like kind of get it, but they don't put the two exactly together. I think it's so crazy. I mean, since we're on this topic, like, like food is so important. It's what you fuel your body with. It's like, it's amazing how disconnected we've become from like what you put in your body. Like people are so like right. curious about like, what if I try this supplement or what if I like take this shake or whatever? It's like, exactly. what if you just focus on like what you're eating all day long? Like that's what you're putting in your body. That's what fuels you. Like I, I was telling Tom before, I was at the state fair a couple weeks back. Um, by the time this airs, it'll probably be longer than that. But um, I was feeling good. I, I had done like a fast in the morning, just drinking water, whatever. High energy, like good communication with the people I was with, just like having a great time. I get like some cheese curds, onion rings, and like uh, some other deep fried something. And literally like within a half hour afterwards, and I'm like hyper vigilant on this stuff, but I felt myself get like kind of warm. I was definitely less patient. I was more irritable. I was like, yeah, when are we leaving? I was just like in a worse mood, Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like people don't even like tie those things together. Like, why do I feel this way? Why a half hour ago did I feel like great Mm -hmm. high energy? Now I feel sluggish and like upset. I totally get it. Yeah, I had to... (laughs) I went to the state fair on a Sunday and again, I don't know how much of a rant I want to go on this, but I was there for 14 hours and, uh, I had to leave work early on Monday cause I, I, my stomach could not handle all the just crap that I ate, you know, fried food <laughs> after fried food. I like woke up the next morning and it was my stomach. I mean, just the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. And I know this is a little bit different compared to your pain that you have, but it's like, just go ties into it. It's like, what you put in your body may, plays a huge role into how you feel when you're doing it. And I mean, it got so bad that I had to leave work early because it was <laughs> like eight just, you know, fried cream cheese wonton after fried cream cheese wonton. And then they just, just, <laughs> uh, super good, yeah, super good. But, uh, no, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, when most patients tell me or ask me like, what is your recommendation? Um, cause we have like kind of a handout at our clinic and it's like, I don't know where they're getting this stuff. They like label it into inflammatory and non-inflammatory foods where they, you know, say that, you know, I must, you don't eat any red meat. Like don't eat like some of these things where it's like, it's such a blank. It's such exactly there. And that's what I always tell people. It's like, there's not one diet that is perfect for everyone. There's so much of a, you know, your DNA, so many different factors that play a role into it. And like, you know, you can go on podcasts on like where you, if you go back to your roots on what you eat there, where you start to kind of respond better. But I usually tell people from everything I can, you know, all the, everything I've gathered that the less processed foods, the less simple carbs that you eat, the less sugar that you eat, and then eating a few more vegetables, it's only going to help you. Right? Describe simple carbs versus complex carbs. Yeah. So, I mean, the simple carbs is when you go, you know, go to McDonald's, you get white rice, you get the kind of the, kind of the more of the, you get the white sugars that we're doing, you know, not, not rice at McDonald's, but you know, just the, you know, the white patties that you're eating there. Um, but no, it's uh, again the more the simple the simple carbs the the cheaper you know glycemic uh, you know the I don't know what I'm trying to say here but yeah just so it, it, yeah basically like there's more of an immediate sugar rush exactly like, it, it's like yeah. candy you get that yeah you get that immediate yeah breaks down to sugar you get that immediate kind of insulin response where yeah your body starts to uh, kind of you know feed that insulin to bring all that sugar into your carbs and then you get that kind of glycemic rebound where then all of a sudden you're you know an hour later your body starts to crave more and more of those same sugars so that it can fuel itself where if you eat more of these kind of 
you know, just better foods for yourself that you're going to be able to run at a little bit more of a even keel pace throughout the day. You're not going to get these glycemic spikes. And when I say glycemic spikes, I mean that you get those quick kind of rises in your sugar in your blood that when you eat those simple carbs and then you just crave more and more of it throughout the day. Yeah. And that's, that's versus like complex carbs are going to be like sweet potatoes or things like that, where yes, it's a carbohydrate, like carbs aren't bad. We never said carbs were bad. It's just like the form that you're getting them in. Um, you know, that's, that's the same thing with like fats or whatever. like you can't, you can't even say a blanket statement of like this macronutrient is bad. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, what form does it come in? Right. Like avocados right. are like great fats, like mm-hmm. super good food for you. Whereas like, yeah, McDonald's chicken nuggets, probably not that good. You're right. You know, like there, there's just like, you have to rate the things differently than just what their macronutrient profile is. Yeah. And I think it's tough because even if you go onto my government or the whatever, the myfood.gov yeah, or whatever yeah. it is, it still has, you know, these outdated research that, oh, um, I mean, pyramid, about, about the food, the food pyramid. Yeah. Are you kidding me about how that it's, you know, still the most that you should be eating are these, you know, carbs grains. and they don't, yeah, it's simple grains on these. It's like, come on now. The, pyramid, the whole yeah. bottom of the pyramid, the huge part of the pyramid yeah. is all like breads and grains oh my and stuff. god it's like, i like oh dude, those are natural like it, yes our ancestors weren't eating those it, it, those don't yeah. block the oh, earth that makes me so mad and then those they still grow. and then they still say that you know fats are terrible when you're saying that there are like i mean fats everybody awesome. everybody's heard of the keto diet like i mean it's worked for a lot of people you can't yes. say a blanket statement that fats are bad for you when it's helped you know people with epilepsy with i mean people lose weight feel better i mean it's it's just you can't say blanket statements that you know all fats are bad and that you should be eating the most you know seven servings of carbs or whatever it is on the my pyramid now so i understand where people go in with this misinformation because our government is outdated from you know and most of these sponsors of my government the myplate.gov are if you look at it like tyson chicken Mm -hmm. mcdonald's Mm -hmm. some of these different places that have an investment into it where you know, you get rid of the fats, it starts, food starts tasting like crap. And then now everybody starts adding sugar to it, which we know is a poison or it, not a poison, but it's terrible for you. It's addictive. It, it's, it it's, it's, it's bad for you. It's addictive. Yeah. Yes. And so I, uh, I don't know. I, I just am a little frustrated with the overall kind of new nutritional and, um, scheme that you're going to get from you know, if you could log onto your government, which website, which should have the most up-to-date information. Well, and that's what's hard too, is like when you Google, like that's how everyone finds their information. Like Google, what's the best diet, what's the best, whatever. Like almost all those things have an agenda. Mm -hmm. Like it's sponsored by whoever it's written by someone who's going to benefit from X, Y, Z. Like you have to find people that you trust that don't have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Like, like coming to us or like, and I'm not just saying us, I'm saying there's tons of great information out there, podcasts, um, mind pump is one that comes to top of mind where they just like put out good, genuine content. And like, you just have to find people that don't have skin in the game and that like are stating what just like makes the most logical sense, For sure, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you were saying earlier, every, like different things work for different people. You can never put a blanket statement on paleo is going to work for yeah. everybody. You can never put a blanket statement on vegan is going to work for everybody. Like everybody responds differently, but you need to at least experiment with your own body and find what works for you. Otherwise, like you're never going to be optimized. It's kind of like if you, so like if you've lived your whole life and you've like eaten a certain way, right? Um, Which I probably had until I was, I don't know, 20 something when I like dove into this more. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't realize that you're not driving a Ferrari until you drive a Ferrari. 
Mm-hmm. Like you don't realize that you're not optimized until you are. No, for sure. So right. like you think like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Right. And like you're fueling yourself with like vegetable oil. Mm-hmm. You know, like your body's still going to run because we've adapted super well. But like 40, 50, 60 years down the road, you're going to be more prone to disease or things like that. Like you never know what the peak is until you reach the peak. For sure. You know? Yeah. Like, I love playing basketball. Yeah, I will never in my play. life know what it's like to be the best basketball player in the world. But like LeBron does, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, that's a separate debate. But, oh, I was going to say, um, yeah. No, <laughs> but, but I'm just I saying, think he's like, the goal. I'm just saying like, you don't, I don't know. You don't know until you know, you know, like you, you right. can't just like do what you're doing because it's worked. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I hate that so much in like every area of health or fitness or wellness or whatever of like, Oh, I've done this before and it works. Yeah. So yeah, shit's going to work. Like your body's able to like adapt to everything. It's the most complex system there is. Exactly. But, like, does it, it could be the better. Best? Is yeah. it the best? Or the like, fastest or the, like, the... Not always faster is better, but, it, like, are you getting from point A to point B, like, the safest and the quickest and the best way possible? Yes. There's a lot of ways to do that. Um, like, but if you don't try something new or trust someone new or learn something new, you're always going to be stuck in a rut. Yeah, you need to experiment and see what works best for you. And that's the other thing that you guys were talking about, about the kind of being, you know, trying to get the patient to be empowered, you know, being autonomous where you're um, that, you know, more, I mean, especially when we're, you know, young, robust, that we're able to adapt. Our bodies are amazing. It's, we're resilient. We're, we're human beings. Like we, like we can, we're going to get better majority of the time without doing anything. And so the more that you tell people that they're broken when they're, you know, that, and that you're the one fixing them. Well, who's to say that you were the person that fixed them or was it just time and your body's natural response that healed them? Yes. And so on going along with that, like the more that you can say that empower them that look, your body is going to get better. But the more that you can do these healthy choices, the rest of your life is only going to make it better for your overall health. It just goes a long ways into their kind of psyche and then being able to manage their symptoms, you know, lifelong. Yeah. How about longevity? How about like quality of life yeah. when you're 80 versus right now in your 20s or 30s? Right. Like. Dwight Howard ate like 20, I don't know. 26 time. candy bars 20, a day. 26 candy bars a day. And Equivalent dude, in, in and, candy. And dude is jacked. Like, yeah. dude, like he looks like all the metrics that you can right. take, right. like BMI or whatever, like his are great. Oh, he must be fine. Yeah. It's like, no, dude, like how are you fueling your body? Like it's not going to catch up to you right now. It's going to catch up to you in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Or what, I mean, he was you know deep a pretty well i mean he made the all decade team on nba 2k so obviously he did pretty well for himself <laughs> shout out nba 2k 20 just came out, out yeah yesterday uh but the like yeah what would have been his performance his peak if he would have instead of eating those candy bars would have been fueling up on you know good fats you know good i mean just overall solid meals on that i mean like what you're saying you don't know what your optimum is until you kind of actually reach it and so um yeah going along with that i mean he could have been a lot better if you would have been right. you know putting in the correct stuff into his into his body and even if it's not something that's immediately measurable like oh he played better he got more points per game the next year that he ate better it's like how about just like his let's talk to him in 30 years mm-hmm. let's see where he's at yeah you know like you, not everything is so measurable you have to just also use common sense and think like long-term game do you guys uh you know talk to patients at all about inter- intermittent fasting i know at least in the past yes. Becky, you've uh done that are you uh confident enough to kind of recommend that to patients or again kind of where are you on kind of as far as the prescription for patients for nutrition when it comes to intermittent fasting i'm pretty i'm pretty careful with like recommending it Mm -hmm. i I like to i mean definitely i bring it up as an option yeah i say like 
I've seen this work for some people. Try it, you know, see mm-hmm. it if, you, if you like it or not. Like, I would never be like, you're going to want to do this. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to make right. you better. Right. Just like we were talking about before. Like, you got to have them autonomous and you have no idea if it's going to work for that person. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think there's been pretty good things as far as for some people, intermittent fasting, which is basically like um, decreasing your feeding window in a given day. Uh, so that's like, I think one of the most common ones is 16 eat, and eight, 16 and eight is, yeah. or mm-hmm. 14 and 10. I've also heard, but 16 and eight, I feel like is one of the more common. Yeah. So yeah. you'll eat from like between noon and 8 PM in a given day. You can eat. Um, I mean, obviously eat healthy. It's not just like, Oh, since you're intermittent fasting, you can eat whatever shit you want in that eight, eight right. hour window. Right. Um, and then for those 16 hours, which are overnight, you don't eat. It's surprisingly not that difficult to do at all. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have thought that was ridiculous because I ate every two hours. Like, it's really not difficult to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely bring it up with people, um, especially people that battle with chronic pain or have mm-hmm. issues with their blood sugar or mm-hmm. whatever it might be, um, just because it's a huge option. And I think that it can have a much bigger effect than people think. And I think that people oftentimes, like, push nutrition aside or they're like, like, you're much, you're going to have a better chance of getting better with that versus like doing a specific exercise, like a bridge or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like, especially if you have chronic pain. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of just talked, I don't even know what I said there, but it's basically (laughs) basically just like, yeah, I tell people it's an option. Yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, I know I'm because I'm I've been struggling with this too because I, I feel like we all listen to you know try to keep up with the same kind of podcast same research yeah. when we're doing it and so it's like but it seems to be like all realms of you know that it seems to be pretty beneficial that yeah, this intermittent fasting for a long a lot of things like Dr. Rhonda Patrick I don't know she's yep. big into it as far as for the gut biome especially for where you're you know making sure that you have a period throughout the day that you're not irritating that gut which can you know, lead to some inflammation throughout the body, which again, we know a lot of these, you know, chronic inflammatory issues, you know, are huge into pain when you're doing, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, all these different things. And so the more that you can, you know, make sure that you're not irritating your gut, which then it can, again, can affect the rest of your, of your system, your body and your pain. But also even like David Sinclair, who is huge into, um, he's a leading geneticist out of Harvard and, even like all of the mice studies, the rat studies that have came out lately, as oh, far yeah. as longevity for life, he recommends that that's the number one thing that you can do to improve the longevity of your life. So again, it goes through, you know, it's multiple different people that um, keep on talking about it for the benefits and, um, and not even for the same thing. So again, I just feel like this is one, you know, thing that I, I feel pretty comfortable on saying that it's it should be beneficial for most people. And uh, again, I until I find something that I read otherwise, I'm pretty confident in saying it. I haven't really been recommending yeah. it too much to patients, but if you know if they're really kind of looking for an answer, yes. I might kind of you know talk a little bit more on how you know some of the research and how it's you know it's really seemed to help me in the last two years as far as kind of just uh, how I feel and energy levels and. Um, not that I've had pain, but you know, just staying healthy. And so, mm-hmm. um, more and more, I don't know. I just feel like intermittent fasting and, you know, trying not to, uh, you know, just eat small meals throughout the day. has just really helped my energy levels, my mood, everything. And so I, uh, I don't know. I'm a huge proponent of it. Yeah. And if, if that changes in the next, you know, three to five to 10 years, then you adapt your, your thought processes exactly, and the information you're taking in and you, and everyone, we're all just doing our best here. We're all doing our best to give out the best information that we know, whether it's sleep, nutrition, exercise, 
stress and and it's gonna change i guarantee you mm-hmm. and and if it doesn't change then we're we're all slacking so um the beauty of it you just give the best information you know right now and we try to help you the best that way um to see where that where that can take you and uh i'm glad you're doing that because you don't have to be perfect you don't have to know everything mm-hmm. and you can say what works for you because that's that's your opinion and, and your and what's working for you so um that's awesome that you're doing that with your patients and trying to help them out um beyond just you know one exercise or one um research study or things of that nature too for sure and yeah, yeah i always like tell myself i'm doing the same or i would one of my favorite co-workers just left but i would always tell her if i'm doing the same thing in a year from now that i'm doing now then i'm not keeping up with my shit like i yes. i'm not i'm not being the the best you know physical therapist that i can like i mean my in the last two years that i've been or two and a half years that i've been out it's like I'm not even close to the same, you know, physical therapist that I was at the beginning. Like my thought process completely shifted. And if I don't keep up with my research, like everything that comes out, I should, you should adapt a little bit and try to do the best. Exactly what you're saying, Tom, is that, you, yeah, you, all you can do is try to give out the best information that you can to make a difference in people's lives, to better their health, to better their pain. And, um, I don't know. I can hold my head on or hold, and I'm really, <laughs> oh, all right. I, I really need to get this up. I think hang your hat on Hang it. your hat. Yeah. There you go. Okay. It's perfect. There, yeah. I believe that's blame it on the beer, but honestly, a... I think I've just been doing, saying that wrong my entire life. <laughs> I think I can hang my hat on, uh, you know, saying that I'm, you know, trying to do the best that I can for, uh, for my patients. And so, um, yeah, I'll try to get better with the rest of the podcast on saying that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> Stick to what you know, maybe. In my hat. To be serious, though, like that's such a huge thing is not being afraid to be wrong right now. Mm-hmm. Like, because at least that means that you're going out there, you're trying to find new information, you're trying to find things that are new and and on the cutting edge. And like, I would I would way rather like look back in five years and be like, oh, you know what, I was wrong on this or that, mm-hmm. you know. Versus, like, look back on five years and be like, ha, told you so. And just, like, being, doing the same shit that's been done. For sure. You yes. know, like, that, that's, yeah. that's just, like, that's not even just within our profession. That's just, like, as a human. Like, I would, because within that five years of, like, learning new things, trying to implement new things, whatever, you're going to learn along the way. Versus just, like, staying in your little, like, black and white perspective. Pers- <laughs> 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 I'm doing good, boys. Now you're rubbing <laughs> No, but your black and white perspective on things. Just, like. Yeah, I would way rather like try that and be wrong. Mm-hmm. I agree a hundred percent. Exactly, and it's like I tell people last like two months, like double down on who you are. If you really think intermittent fasting is really helpful, then like start telling people that. Um, if you really, you know, you read this new research article about how sleep really affects um, your day to day life, you know, start telling people that. Like, be very confident in who you are and what you can provide for people because it doesn't help to learn a bunch of things and not share it with people. Yeah. Yes, it's going to benefit you, um, but if you're not telling people, even if it changes, then you tell them when it changes. Because um, I think we're, we're it's it's really hard to, when you're when you're in school for so long, you just like want to be perfect. You want to get that A, yes. and you want to do everything like right. Um, but if you don't ever take chances, then you're going to miss out on helping a lot of other people too. So, And I struggle with that too sometimes. It's like, well, I kind of know a little bit about this and a little bit about that, and... It's keep changing. It's like, just give the best answer you have right now. It's, it's so much more important to like find the truth than to be right. Yeah. Like let's find the truth by failing a shit ton of times. Yeah. I mean, know? it's the only way you can do it. Yes. Yeah. Like you can't just stick with your ways and become complacent and think that what you're doing right now is the best without like 
going outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's like the same thing we go back to. Like if you've never driven a Ferrari, like maybe your 98 Chevy isn't the best fucking car out there. Or my 09 you know? piece of crap oh, Honda Accord out there. Yeah, I know. It's, like, it's, I'm not a car guy at all. It's just a good analogy where, like, you need to go and try to, like, optimize the things that you're doing. For sure. Yeah. And that we're, as humans, we're resilient and we can adapt. That, you know, yes. that you, you put, we adapt well to stressors as long as we don't kind of overload what your body can tolerate at that point. You know, that, you know, sometimes if that pain Maybe there's just a few too many stressors in your life. And when I say stressors, not just the stress of everyday life, that the stress that you put in on your, you know, your overall load that you're, if you're going to CrossFit, you know, four times, you know, back to back to back doing the same exercise that, you know, maybe for the short term, we need to dial that back a little bit, decrease the amount of stress that you're putting through your body. And then, so you, so then your body gets a chance to adapt, resolve, become resilient and get better. And so um, yes, I just think, uh, I don't even know where I was going with this tangent, but that we're adaptable and that, you know, that you don't, we're not broken and that the more that we can try to empower the person to, you know, get that confidence that I'm going to get better with this and then keeping, and then getting them on these healthy behaviors that we we're talking about through the nutrition, the sleep and everything else. I guess we've mostly been talking about nutrition kind of been yeah, going on a while for in, that. Let's yeah. dive in, uh, sleep. Let's, let's talk sleep. All right. TB, you're the, you're the, you're the main dude. Are you still sleeping through your phone in your room? I'm going to call you out right now. Uh, Gosh. Uh, are you, uh, right, do you sleep with your phone from, in your Is room? that from Ben Greenfield? Uh, I, I think. Listen to that podcast. It was probably this. from Why We Sleep uh, okay. by Matthew Walker. Walker. Yeah, I've probably. I, and, and so have, we all, have we all read that book? Yes. Yeah, I've read yeah. that. was, I mean, one of the best books I've ever read, that's, that's read in my life. Yeah. That really makes you look at things differently. Uh, yeah. That's Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Great book if you haven't read it. Yeah. Um. But no, I, I do still have my phone. And if you, just to cut you off quick, if you don't want to take the time to read the book, he has a two-hour podcast with Joe Rogan. Yeah. So oh, it cool. doesn't sum up everything, but, um, but if you're great. more audio um, or you, you don't, or I listen guess you to, have Audible to too. Work. Either way. Yeah. Um, Type in Matthew Walker, Joe, Joe Rogan. Yeah, it's on there. That's good stuff. Um, well, but no, no, so I, uh, I have it in the bathroom. Um, probably half the nights and then I have that's it. Not too, that's a good set. I have it in my room, but, um, no, I got to get better at that for sure. How about you? Uh, I still have it in my room. Uh, are you saying more like I don't, I limit my screen time beforehand or, and then I put my phone on silent. Are you saying more? Do you use it as an alarm clock? Yeah. Or why do you have it in your room? Yeah. I've set it as my alarm clock. Cause I've just seen stuff where it's like, get all electronics out of your bedroom no, I, and you sleep better. Cause you, you're associating your room with the things that are in there. No, I and definitely so get that, yeah. even if you're not using it or if it's, it's just an alarm, you're still associating your room with a place to be on your phone I, and yeah. not a place to sleep. So no, I it may, yeah, I know it makes total sense and it just forces you to not use that screen time before, before you go to bed. Well, and this is good too. Cause it's just saying like, we're not perfect on these things. Like, the things that we talk about, everything we've talked about, like none of us are perfect. Mm -hmm. Like this weekend, we're crushing. Like, what, what do we got over there? That's what I mean. We got a bunch of like, talking about nutrition. I mean, we got, <laughs> I mean, we got, we got some bunch of cereal. cereal. We got box cereal. Yeah. We got simple carbs. We got, Hammer we got sugar. Cereal. Yeah, we got cereal during football. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, the biggest thing is like knowing this stuff and like knowing how to implement it into your life, but also realizing that you don't have to be perfect. Like right. we would never claim that we're perfect in these areas. We mm -hmm. always have things to work on. Yes. But like the fact that we're at least aware of it is such a huge step. And that's all we want you guys to get to. Like we don't want you to be perfect. No one should right. be perfect. Mm -hmm. like, and you just have to know the consequences for what you do. So if you don't want to sleep eight hours a night, that's fine. But you have to understand the consequences 
And if you're around, if you're around us, like careful how much you complain about those because it's going to go back to, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you doing And if it's every once in a while, it's fine. You know, like, yeah, if we eat all this food, we're probably going to feel great tomorrow. But like, we're accepting that. And it's like the risk reward factor yes, coming back yes. into play. Risk so reward, if, if you, if you don't like the consequences of it, then you need to go back to why are those coming up? And you need to take a hard look at, um, and it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's like, what are you eating? How are you sleeping? What's your stress? Exercise. Simple. Like it's simple, but it's not easy. So go back and just, you know, do an audit of yourself. Like the last like seven days, how many hours did you sleep? If it's average six hours, it's not enough. And even if you're used to that, it's still not enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's never going to be healthy to be like hyper aware or hypersensitive to all these things we're talking about. Like mm-hmm. then you're just going to have issues with food or you're going to have issues with like your body image or you're going to have issues with insomnia or like whatever it is in these fields. Like if you try to be perfect at any of these things, you're effed. Like that's not going to go well. But like just to have the perspective of these things like in your life and how you can incorporate those is massive, you know, and that's all we're trying to do. That's all we're trying to do is just bring awareness to it. Another thing that really helped me to sleep was, um, and I, and I, I wish I knew where I read this to give, to, to give credit, but take everything out of your bedroom and then only put back what you actually have to have. So like your bed, your alarm and like not much else should really go back in there because all those things are just going to trigger your brain when you see them right mm-hmm. before your bed, whether it's just like a simple book or if it's um, like your clothes or it's your backpack or it's a computer or it's your phone. It's like that's all going to trigger you to start thinking about that stuff and yes. not about sleep and don't treat your bedroom like a living room. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect. Sometimes I lay in bed and scroll on Instagram or ESPN or Bleacher Report. Um, but if you constantly do that, and you're not sleeping well, it goes back to these are the consequences for you doing these things. Well, I think that's cool, too. I, I guess I never even really thought of it like that. Like, not just the fact of the screen time or the blue light or those types of things before bed. Because I always thought, like, you know, blue light and the melatonin effect on that. But more so, like you said, just, like, if your backpack's in your room and or, like, your laptop, not even open, but you just right. look at it and that triggers something about work or like a meeting exactly. that you have tomorrow or stressful tests coming up. Like you're, the power of thought is insane. Which right. We were talking about a little bit earlier on the drive over too. It's just like your thoughts control your reality. Like that's, that's your life right there. And you can do that with like all the rooms in your house. You can keep your food in the kitchen, in the dining room. You can keep the TV in the living room. You can keep uh, like all your school stuff in like the office. And then when you're walking through those rooms, you're going to associate with those. And that's going to help you a study better, B eat better, C enjoy your free time better and sleep better. So, um, that's one thing I've kind of done recently with sleep and it's helped a little bit. Cause I, I had stuff in my room. It's like, why am I keeping this in here? It's like, I don't even have a backpack in my room. And yeah. so, yeah, that's awesome. And just, I feel like we haven't done a great job on kind of explaining a little bit about sleep, but I know Matthew Walker recommends, you know, mostly studies that if you're getting under seven hours of sleep, you could, there's a, I mean, a long list of detrimental effects that it has on your overall health. And I know seven is a kind of a cutoff point for a lot of the kind of different research articles that he states in there. But I mean, we need at least seven to nine hours of sleep a night minimum. Uh, I know he says that there is a small um, subset of genes where, you know, it's less than 1% of the population that can, can run on, you know, less than that seven hours of sleep. But you know, if you're thinking that's you, it's not, it's, it's not you, it's, it's not you, you need, you need that, you need that seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And so, 
Um, and again, what we're talking about with that running on the Ferrari versus my 99 or whatever, 2009 Accord <laughs> is that you're, I mean, you won't know until you get that extra hour of sleep every night on how much better you're going to run on your entire life. You know, the, the mental acuity, the, um, less irritability, the, uh, I mean, those are the main two that I've kind of noticed as well as, I mean, there's physiological effects where you literally, um, you don't get as hungry throughout the day. You, I'm kind of mixing up my ghrelin versus, um, different kind of, you know, those satiety hormones that are released, but, um, these, you know, the hormones that are released that make you hungry, you literally produce less of them if you get a full, you know, night's rest when you're doing it. So what we're talking about with, you know, we're complex humans, all these things are interrelated that if, you know, you're, you don't get as much sleep, then you are, your body literally, if, you know, fiends for some more of these, you know, simple sugars and different things. So, um, and then talking about pain, you know, if you're in pain, you're more than likely not going to be sleeping as less, you know, it's a, you know, it's a chicken and the egg approach. It's hard to, you know, yeah. It all ties in together. Like it's all so meshed together. Like, like you said, if you don't sleep, like, you're going to eat worse and you're going to be more hungry and whatever, but it's vice versa too. Like if you eat shitty, you're not going to sleep as as well. If you're not active during the day, physically active, Mm -hmm. not just like in front of a computer working your ass off at work. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you're not working hard, but if you're not physically Mm -hmm. active enough during the day, you're not going to sleep well. You're going to have insomnia. Yeah. Like all these things playing together. If you're too stressed, you're not going to sleep. If you're not sleeping, you're going to get more stressed because you're not going to be able to handle the demands around you. Literally all of these things are together. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's human life. Like it's all of the, the pieces. So, to just address one or to just like look at things in isolation, kind of going back to how we started this entire conversation is just never going to work. It's never enough. For sure. Like you're, you're looking at one piece of the pie um, and you can't change the outlook of the entire pie with one piece. So it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. There's, there's so many things that go into it. And like, we're not experts. We're still learning. We're yeah. young. Like we're just trying to take it all in, but and then relaying all this to what most people come and see us for pain. I mean, you know, it's a positive feedback loop. You're, you're in more pain. You're not going to sleep as well. You're not getting as comfortable. Right. And then you don't sleep as well. You're more irritable. You get more growing. Then you need, worse. then you need to, then you start eating it not as well. And then you're not as active because you're in pain. And then you're, and then it's just this whole positive feedback loop where it just kind of goes on one another. And then all of a sudden, three months later, you're in pain. You haven't been moving. You can't sleep and you're eating like crap. And then it's, it's hard to get out of that rut. So the more that you can try to, you know, make sure that you're staying on top of these, you know, four topics that we're talking about, the better off you're going to be for your, the rest of your life. Yes. And and there's small things you can do. Like, it's not like you have to, I mean, I, I would say that all of us are pretty involved. Like we just like, we get geek out on these things. Oh, like, for sure. Passionate about oh, this I, love, I love <laughs> this like, stuff. Yeah. That's, that's not the goal for the listener. Like the goal for you listening is to just like, take small strides in these areas and it doesn't have to be super time consuming. Like it can be doing a couple things like Tom's talking about for your sleep hygiene, which we should probably dive into a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Just like yeah. the, the five things. Yeah. Like do, all the things that he does. Um, yeah. Let's, let's do that now and then I'll continue. So a couple of big things you can do. Um, and the reason we talk about sleep is because it's free. It's it's for most people. It's really easy to incorporate. Um, and there's so many benefits to it too, and it doesn't take it doesn't take any energy. You just go to bed a little bit earlier, or you. And it depends when you sleep too. Like sleeping from 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. is not the same as going to bed at 10 p.m. and waking up at 6 or 7. So it's not that you can oh I'm gonna sleep till noon every day and it's gonna be better for me. When you go to sleep matters, but um, <laughs> it's just an easy thing to start implementing if you want to improve your performance. And that's why we're we preach it so much is because. It's going to have, you're going to get a, a huge return on your investment 
And it's going to make a big difference in a lot of areas. Yes, the ROI is ridiculous with sleep. And don't tell, don't don't use the excuse that you don't have time, mm-hmm. because getting more sleep will make everything else you do so much more efficient. Exactly. Like your relationship with your children, your job, your eating habits, your everything that you do will be so much better off by getting that sleep. Mm-hmm. That like, there's no such thing as not having enough time. Like, you need to build it into your day. You need to find out some way with your spouse or some something as far as the kids being able to sleep. Like. There has to be things you can do to build that, and it needs to be a priority. Mm-hmm. And that's it's so frustrating when it's like, oh, I have X, Y, Z, A, B, C. It's like sleep needs to be like one of those top five. Like it needs to be that's a priority. One, one a like sleep. seven to nine hours for adults and even more for kids. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a priority, and then those other things can fall behind it. It's not, oh, I have this practice, and then I'm hanging out with these friends, and then I'm watching the show, and then I'm you know eating late dinner, and then sleep. It's like if that's your priorities, that's fine. But if you're not seeing the results that you want, then it's going to go back to why is that happening? Um, so that sleep needs to be at the top of your priority and then shape those things around it um, to make those things better for you. So a couple of things that you can do that we that we usually talk about. One is get your room as dark as possible. So getting electronics out of the room really helps, but also getting some blackout curtains um, or decreasing how much light is in your room, you're going to sleep a lot better that way. Get in your room usually a little bit colder. I think around mm-hmm. like 68 degrees is what is generally recommended um, for your for your body to sleep better. Your body need, literally needs to decrease by like, I think it's about two degrees in order for you to fall asleep, or your actual kind of brain itself. And so, yeah, I mean, it's being yeah. cool is super important. Um, getting that phone and TV before bed, uh, you know, decreasing that time, have a little bit, and it's not that you can't watch TV at night. Like we're watching a game right now. Um, but having like a half hour window where it's like maybe shower, make lunch for the rest of the day, talk to whoever you're living with. Um, and then, and then go on to, uh, go to bed and see how the next day goes. Um, so those little pillars of sleep can really make can really make a difference um and those are really simple and easy to to implement right away um versus versus pointing to things that oh like i need a new mattress or i need a new pillow or um blaming things that might be not be in your control it's like go to bed a little earlier get your room a little darker um only have in what your room what you really need and see if that makes a difference and you feel a lot better and do a lot better great like we just improved your life 10 percent by a couple different little changes and so. a couple things to add to that too are just Try to not have caffeine after like 10 a.m. I think is roughly what Matthew Walker suggested um, that the research shows. Um, try not to consume alcohol mm-hmm. <laughs> as as we're doing that. Check check. <laughs> um, and shoot, where was I going? Well, if I don't mean to interrupt here, but I know that his number one thing that he recommends more than anything is that you be consistent with exactly. the time that you go yep. to bed. That's yes. the number one thing that he recommends is that you know that you're getting you know say you know, going to bed at 9.30 p.m. and waking up at that 6 a.m., you know, that you're you're being consistent each night with the amount of time that you sleep and then kind of piggybacking off of what the, you're talking about is that literally that caffeine blocks those receptors that are needed for your body to fall asleep. And so it literally, what I found just fascinating is that caffeine, the half-life is eight hours. So, you know, eight hours after you're done consuming caffeine, there's still half the amount of caffeine that you consume that is still in the brain that prevents, literally prevents your body from, your brain from, um, that adenosine, uh, you know, receptors, not that this matters, but it's just that it takes a long time for your body to get rid of that caffeine so that, you know, whatever, especially if you're, you know, drinking that caffeine till like 5 PM, which a lot of people do, like 
just cut that off until 10 a.m. or noon or, you know, at the latest is usually what I recommend. Yeah. And so, so sorry yeah. to interrupt there, but no, no. Yeah. That, and, and then the last one I was just going to say, and I think you might've mentioned that Tom too, was just screen time. Like trying not to be on the screen for at least 30 minutes before you go to bed, just because that can have a huge effect as well. Um, let's dive into, so we, we've kind of covered, uh, exercise, nutrition, sleep. Um, let's just dive into stress a little bit. I mean, maybe just what you guys say to patients, how you approach it. Um, if there's any actionable things that you tell them or things that you come up with like that, um, and then we'll kind of round it out with that. So one thing I really give people is there's, if you go online, just Google stress bucket, there's a big bucket and it's all the, the things that are, can be stressful and stress, not good or bad. Just it, it is what it is. It can be uplifting or downlifting. Um, but that's work, sleep, sports, school, um, a lack of sleep, I should say. Um, relationships, all that is stress, whether it, it adds to your life or takes away from your life. That's all going to a bucket. And then coming out of the bucket are positive things like exercise, um, nutrition, everything we just kind of talked about right now. So if too much of that stuff is going into the bucket and not enough stuff's coming out, your bucket's going to overflow and your body's going to break down. You're not going to be able to, to manage that. So if you're looking at everything that's coming into your life and everything that you're putting out through it, Make sure those are somewhat balanced, and if they're skewed one way or the other, then you can start working on that. That's usually where I start with people, kind of give them a visual and see where they take it with that. Well, I think it's important, too, to look at it like with with that bucket analogy that you're using, <clears throat> like working in front of a screen all day at your job, like your 9 to 5, is that's all getting poured into the – like that's going to cause that bucket to overflow. Like even though even though you're working, like you're producing output, like you're you're working hard – um, that's not helping to decrease that, the water in that bucket. Right. You know, and, and I think that that's something that's people need to understand. And we need to understand too, is that even though we are working harder than probably ever before in society, we're not getting like the benefits of working hard of like getting tired, being able to sleep better. Um, our bodies being in good physical shape. Cause like back with like our ancestors, right? Like caveman days, whatever, working hard literally meant like you're physically working hard you know mm-hmm. and and now we have it's super taxing on the brain but like it doesn't provide any stimulus typically to the body i totally agree with all of you and so kind of what things that i recommend is that well number one they all play into a role but make sure that you're moving that if you hurt you know you're stressed out one of the best things you can do is to get to get moving to try to help kind of calm that down and then just the importance of you know, deep breathing, uh, you know, literally when you kind of, you turn on, when you breathe in through the diaphragm, you're turning on that vagus nerve, turning on the parasympathetic nervous system a little bit where you can, um, you know, I try to always ask if you've ever dabbled in any kind of mindfulness or meditation before. And if not that you try to, you know, at least give it a shot. It's not for everyone when you're doing it, but, um, you know, I'm a little bit partial because I've been kind of doing a lot more yoga in the last year, but you know, just taking a couple minutes and, you know, really taking in some deep breaths, trying to be present in the moment can really make a big difference. And, you know, drowning out the things that may or may not happen in the future. You know, our brain is great at kind of predicting kind of what the worst thing is that can happen, but very rarely does it ever actually happen to that way. You know, that I'm dreading this, you know, this, this presentation, this podcast. And, you know, once you get into it, it's not as, it's never as bad as it, what you actually, your brain thinks that it's going to be. And so, you know, taking a step back and then look, it's, you're <laughs> try to be as present as you can in this moment because the future is 
I mean, it's might not even happen. And so it's unknown. And so your brain, yeah, just the more that you can stay present in that moment and try to, um, you know, take these different tasks, whatever works for that person to try to, you know, be more present and, you know, decrease that stress. Um, but those are usually the first two that I kind of talk about is, you know, making sure that you're moving or, you know, doing some kind of stress management and then trying to do some kind of deep breathing. Dude, that's so, it's so powerful. Cause like the, the power of living in the now and not letting your thoughts control your life mm-hmm. is like, it's just insane how much of a difference that makes. Like five years ago, six years ago, whatever, I probably would have looked at meditation as like voodoo. Like, no, why would I sure. ever do that? Like, that's, yeah. that's goofy. Like, oh. weird people do that, you know? Yeah. And it's not till I had the understanding and like tried it on myself, which goes back to try new things. Yeah, right. Um, like, did I understand that just how powerful it is? Like, like we are the thinker of our thoughts. Our thoughts are what like controls our behaviors and what we do in life. So like we have control over those thoughts and that control is so incredibly powerful because your thoughts can be negative. They can be positive. They can be like, most of your thoughts are things that are never going to happen. Kind of like you said, like Mm -hmm. we just worry and we like fascinate on all these things that could happen and they don't, Mm -hmm. you know? No, for sure. And if they do happen, like, did it benefit you to worry about it on the front end? Or is it just like, okay, that happened now. I deal with it. Exactly. Like, don't worry about twi- like don't double worry and don't worry if it's exactly. not gonna happen. Like it didn't happen. Or just like 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 work on it. Like recognize like hey, I'm really stressed mm-hmm. about this basketball game tomorrow, um, because we're playing a really good team and I don't know if we're gonna win. And it's like understand like when you have a big event like that, like that's where your brain goes and find things that can help with that. And we're giving you tools and you don't have to use all the tools. You don't have to use any of them. But if you really want to find something to help you with that. Try one. If it works, great. If it doesn't, try a different one or do the same one more. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, too, is just maintain perspective. Like, we're all incredibly blessed to even be born human oh, beings. For sure. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like, the numbers are like one in something trillion, it's you like know? Four in a trillion or something. Yeah, four in a trillion. It's like the fact that we're here, like, so many of our stressors are just bullshit that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, if your car breaks down, like, all right. Like, you wouldn't have even had a car if this was 300 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, who cares? <laughs> For like, sure. I know. And if yeah. we're going back even on that, you know, most, most of these stress responses are made for, you know, if there's an, you know, there's something that's literally going to kill us in yes. front of us right. that we're there. I mean, that's when you should be there because then you get that elevated and you're able to physically yeah. perform a little bit better and you're able to run away. You're able to, you know, better. But when it's, you're sitting at a desk and then you're worried about a meeting that, you know, or what your boss, boss is going to say in three whatever. days yeah. from now, it doesn't do us any good at all. And so I know it's easy for me to say, I, I struggle with stress all the time. I haven't been, I yeah. had two nights where I didn't sleep that well because, well, I think partly because of the humidity, talking about cool, cooling your room. I had the windows mm-hmm. open where it was 75 degrees and humid, but I mean, a little bit of stress. I mean, it's easy for me to say all these things, but Exactly. I know we're humans. It's I'm tr- I'm still going through this too, and so um, you know the more that we can you know try to apply these things to our life, and you know try to make sure that you're keeping on tack on track with all the all the four main pillars that we're talking about, the better off we're gonna feel. And um, yeah, that's uh, I don't know. I feel like this has been a pretty good discussion today. Yeah, yeah. We'll, let's let's wrap it up there. I mean, um, like we kind of dove into exercise, diet, um, sleeping and stress today um, just a couple of topics again this is kind of off the top of the dome we don't have any notes no. or anything we're just uh. kind of talking it through we're also watching a football game at the same time and, and drinking some beers so it's 
if we uh, lost our train of thought, that's probably part of it. Um, no excuses, just a heads up. And um, we'll, we'll be coming at you with more content soon. Um, but thank you for listening, and hopefully you got some valuable stuff on today.